welcome, welcome to a post-NBA Finals edition of Who Says No. As you'll recall, before the NBA Finals, I had my friend Sagar Panchal on to talk about the Bucks, and I didn't say this at the time, but the reason I had him on then was that I kind of expected the Bucks to lose, and I'll just, that's even being a little generous, I didn't think it was going to be all that close. So I wanted to make sure that we had our Bucks podcast before then, that we could celebrate them, and then when the Suns won the championship, you know, I could at least say the Bucks. We had them in the books. We'd already done them. Well, that's not how the finals went. The Bucks won, and I can think of no better way to celebrate the championship than to bring back the only Bucks fan in my life. Sagar, I am going to ask you the same question that Rachel Nichols asked Chris Paul, but with a very, very different intonation. How does it feel? Uh, well, with your recent re- <laughs> revelation that you thought they were going to lose, it, it- – feels good uh because just like everybody at espn uh everyone at fox sports everyone except for essentially the greatest analyst of all time charles barkley the bucks have been counted out and we now have (laughs) Giannis leads all time has the highest game score out of anyone in finals history at 31.9 for the series that is that stat has been ringing in my head all day that is a level of dominance that has been unachieved by anyone at any point in basketball history. Um, that level of greatness combined with the guy, which we just talked about prior to me coming on, going to Chick-fil-A and ordering 50, as he said, mech nuggets with a half Sprite, half lemonade, no ice, getting his car mopped by fans um, is... There's something very, uh, there's something very like D2 high school wins the regional title feel about it. And it feels like I'm like in math class with the star quarterback or whatever it might be. Uh, it feels amazing. The parade is tomorrow. I'm not going because I'm a wuss, but I have already gotten a lot of my finals merch. I was going to crack open some uh, whiskey I bought from New York last night. Um, I did not crack that open because it was such an amazing moment that I, you just... were sober when the bucks won the title. Are yeah. you kidding? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was sober I'm just thinking when about won. when we met, what, like where were the bucks were, was that like Zach Lowe doing the all caps exclamation point, Larry Sanders? Is that where they were? Like, that's what registered as exciting to bucks fans when we met. And it has been such an incredible transformation and they finally win the title, and you make it through the game without getting drunk. Bravo. Uh, I mean, I had a bottle of wine prior. Oh, okay. I had dinner. Uh, so, but but by that point, it had completely worn out. And and come on, my anxiety was all over the place. I was Sam was sending me text messages that read, "Just five more minutes, five more minutes." It really was right. It was literally like we were counting down a bomb detonation. <laughs> Yeah, well, in reality, Sam was just counting down the amount of time before he could go to the restroom. Um, but that that was what I needed at the time. I needed therapy. I was I was just I didn't understand how so many things could go well for us. Um in 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 a very improbable way too, where like the Suns just kept it just a lot of the tactical like superiority that they had, especially in the beginning of the series, just seemed to kind of ploof and wear out. And I'm just sitting there like, wait, the Bucks are going to get away with this? <laughs> like, Bud's not going to That's a great way to put quarter? it. Because like, I still felt like 
there were mistakes in the way that they played. There were still some questionable shots, but like, especially in the last two games, the shooting variants turned out to be pretty favorable in a lot of the big moments. And it was just like, I'll be honest. I think if they played, if that was like a, I don't know, 17 game series, I think the Suns might've won, but it's not, it's a seven game series and they got away with it and they won. Well, you know, Spurs and nine, right? Um, <laughs> I, I, oh, that's the other thing. I can't believe, and this is kind of like an NBA dream story. The fact that it happened at six games and Brandon yeah. Jackson in the building is, I think that's what elevates it so, into NBA legend moment. Like, Slam tweets out this this picture of Brandon Jennings. Oh my god! High fiving. Oh, no. and it was like it was badly done, but like at the same time, it was so funny seeing all of these non Bucks fans react. Like, what are you talking about? And Bucks fans get it. Like Brandon Jennings actually is a very important part of their culture. It's an important, but it's not an important part of our. It's an important part of our culture in the same way Monta have it all is an important part of the culture. <laughs> Monte have it all is important because we, everyone around the Bucks is like sitting around a campfire that's just about to go out, like laughing over PBRs. Like, we're not happy. We know the, we know Miami's going to sweep us at four. We are very clear about that one. <laughs> but, but like, we, we're going to, we're going to live with the irrational confidence all stars. Sure. Like I was reading the old Bill Simmons column. I, this is going to go way back. Do you remember the 2008 campaign to become the Bucks GM? Oh, I do remember that. Yeah. He was, there are certain things that I cannot say he, uh, on this podcast that he offered because Bill Simmons, uh, old Bill Simmons is very sexist. No surprise. Uh, but he was offering such perks as free kill Bossa after every win and free Miller light. Like he was like, I'm going to be the best GM in history. I'm going to do things like not pay, and this is just painful to, to recollect. I'm going to do things like not give contracts, uh, long-term deals to Dan Gazerich, Charlie Bell, Bobby Simmons, and Mo Williams. <laughs> That's where the mid-2000s bucks were. Okay, but my cat, when did John Hammond get hired? Um, no, I, was I, that I, that cycle? It was right after that. That Simmons wrote that column in 2008. That was when Larry Harris, who the oft- hated Bucks GM, got fired. Um, and Hammond, I believe, yep, Hammond won 2010 Executive of the Year because that yeah, was the so, original Fear the Deer team. That was the I first mean, Fear the Deer No, that was when Bogut was, like, really Bogut, and it almost looked like he was worth it as a number one overall pick. But, like, yep. John Hammond has a very, I don't even want to say bad, he has kind of like an unassuming tenure for the most part as GM of the Bucks. you know, where they have all of these years where they're fighting for the eighth seed you know what, you get that one pick right, number 15 in 2013, and that changed everything. And, like, no matter what John Hammond does for the rest of his career, he will always be the guy who drafted Giannis. I mean, I would also want to point this out, that um, Hammond kind of, and this is just my opinion, he kind of got screwed by coaching. <laughs> um, he... Scott Skiles is best known as a coach that gets really good results in the first season of coaching. He's a point A to point C coach, not a point B to point C coach. Correct. And he, and, and he, by the second season, everyone's sick of Scott Skiles. No surprise. Um, But like, if you look at their draft picks, they selected Jody Meeks in the second round, which in retrospect is not that bad of a pick. No, that's an NBA player. Yes. But then they immediately traded him in February for, Primoz Brzezek, 
Royal Ivy and another that, that is Kevin Durant's close friend, Royal Ivy to you. Oh boy. Um he let's see. Uh da, 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 da. all right. So he I mean th- these are not bad trades. He trades the Charlie Bell and Dan Yazarich contracts to the Warriors for Corey Maggetti. Um he selects Larry Sanders. Uh da, da, da. and then these are just these are just the thing is is these are bucks like this is what the franchise is. You get free agents that are at best replacement level and at worst just you know dregs on the NBA sandpole to be clear. Like uh here's the Bucks free agency in 2010 after a 46 and 36 season, which is again like a pretty good season with a decent young core. Drew Gooden, Keon Dooling, Earl Boykins, Brian Skinner. You know how when you do a franchise in NBA 2K, you you look at like the free agent list of the guys who didn't sign over the summer and like it's always the same two or three guys at the top of that list. They're always like an overall 73 rating. I feel like Keon Dooling was on that list like 9 years in a row. Uh I I believe uh I believe Katino Mobley would like a word. I we'd have to do a whole separate podcast about Katino Mobley. But I do think like this Bucks roster is so uncharacteristic of that sort of like blase nature. Like, yes, they didn't like, I guess Jabari Parker, they had as number two overall pick, but like none of the guys they had were like surefire superstars, but they make the big trade before the season to get your holiday where they give up a million first round picks. And then as we talked about last time, like they really went for it. They traded for PJ Tucker at the deadline. And it was almost like, I'm not going to do the hackneyed, like, Oh, they're a super team thing. But, like, they really went for it. They made the sort of moves that you get to make when you have Giannis, right? Like, if the 2011 Bucks trade for 2011 Drew Holiday, whoever that is, he just leaves at the end of the year. Like, that's that. And, by the way, didn't that – well, that sort of happened to the Bucks, right? When they traded Ray Allen for Gary Payton and then Gary Payton left. Drew Holiday stayed. Uh, oh, my God, I just realized Drew Holiday might be this generation's Gary Payton. That's another conversation. But my point is, like, when you have Giannis – you get to do the thing that you didn't get to do in the old days when the Bucks were like, frankly, just mediocrity personified, right? And now what you have, just like aside from this very, very unique sort of Bucks roster, you also have the most likable championship team I think I've ever seen, right? Like, let me go down the list. PJ Tucker was a German finals MVP, Israeli league MVP, and Ukrainian all-star basically before he ever caught on in the NBA. Chris Middleton, second round pick. Pat Connaughton, second round pick. And he was also a multi-sport athlete like Brooke Lopez, adult Disney fanatic. Giannis is the star that stayed drew holiday. Like this is stuff that gets thrown around with a lot of guys. He might be the best human being in the NBA. Like, no, he's, he, I, we're going to go, we're going to go with probably the dude donated $5 million of salary last year. He took a, he took a leave of absence from the NBA to care for his wife after she had a brain tumor. Like, that is stuff that, like, you can pay people to do that. You don't have to do that. But that's just the kind of person that Drew Holiday is. Like, he is seriously one of the best people in the NBA. I can't think of a roster that deserves this in the way that this year's Bucks do. And, like, as a Bucks fan, that has to make this that much more satisfying. Uh, let me also add – so let me add my so – a few more things here, okay? Uh, because these are all very good things. So Giannis is – I don't need to talk about why he's likable. Everyone already knows why he's likable. Uh, the guy had to take a tinkle. Uh, Chris Middleton is Chris Middleton. I, I talked about him a lot in the last podcast, but one of the biggest things I think 
that I th- think makes Chris Middleton so likable is he's a lot like this diamond in the rough that only Bucks fans really know how good he is or other NBA players. Uh, Larry Nance was on the low post today. Larry Nance Jr., I should say, was on the low post today. And he was like, yeah, Chris Middleton's one of those guys that every single player in the league is like, oh, yeah, he's good. But you don't have to like – it doesn't matter like what the media says or what other people would say about Chris Middleton or like how many all-star games he's selected for. Like people don't want to guard this guy. And, you know, we'll talk about his value a little bit later, but I think that to Bucks fans makes him uniquely likable in the same way that I would say um, someone like Joe Ingles is likable for Jazz fans. Like Joe Ingles for NBA nuts, we love Joe Ingles. We understand why Joe Ingles is so incredibly good, but – like on a broad level, if you ask some random casual fan in, I don't know, Dallas, what they think of Joe Ingles, they may not know who he is. Um, Brooke Lopez, I mentioned this prior to the podcast. He really got a raw deal in LA. Like he goes to the Lakers. He signs with the impression that he is going to be the center when LeBron shows up. He's more than qualified to fill that role. And well, he's like, traded there. Let's just say he didn't sign there as a free agent. He's traded fine. there in the Russell deal. But you're right. He's a free agent in the same summer that they signed LeBron. They could have brought him back any number of ways, and they just didn't. And also, he's a phenomenal teammate. Like, there have never been a bad report about Brooke Lopez as a teammate. There's been reports, and I'm moreover thinking about this very early in his career, where, you know, you may have heard something along the lines of, like, Brooke might take too many touches or Brooke wants more touches or whatever like that. But it was only because he was a phenomenally efficient offensive player. Um, Pat Connaughton is... A multi-sport athlete is a, a kind way to put it. I'll put it in a more politically incorrect way. He is an inspiration. I was mentioning this to one of my friends who played basketball in high school. He is an inspiration to <laughs> every white kid in the Midwest. That I just want to point out that I'm not the one saying this. <laughs> I just want to point this out because I, I, I went to a high school where basketball was taken fairly seriously, but... No offense, we never had any recruits because we were a high school with suburban talent, which pretty much were just like a, like a bunch of white guys in the middle of nowhere. Um, but we just had like really good access to facilities and stuff like that. Pat Connaughton is, is a dreamscape for any white guy in the Midwest who's like, I am that talented. But in reality, like, yeah, they, 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 they might have like one very good gift in Pat's case. It's his vertical and they just have to work hard and truck and everything else. Pat Connaughton works extremely hard on defense for not having the athletic gifts that a lot of other guys have. Pat Connaughton was the source of my frustration so many times in the finals because he was being forced to make really difficult passes that 99% of players would have made. And I, you know, would look at those passes and be like, I've made those passes and pick up before. And they're just getting picked off right from the top. Like there was that pass in game two where he should have shot a three and he decides to pass to Drew Holiday. It's cross court and it's right over the free throw line. And I think CP or someone, maybe I think it might've been Michael Bridges, like steals it. And it, I think the Bucks had a narrow lead at that point. It could have made it a bigger lead. And it was a turning point in the game. Same thing happens in game six. Um, similar pass where Connaughton should have shot the ball, but instead he passes it away, becomes a turnover. Um, but those are the type of players that I think if you're in high school and you're not a recruit, but you know you're still really good at basketball and you're going to be the type of player that pretty much dominates every pickup game from now until the end of time, like 
you look at guys that can't like Pat Connaughton, you're like, I like that guy. That guy well, I think Pat Connaughton is like sort of the girl next door of basketball players, right? Like he feels sort of attainable. I know we could say the same thing about PJ Tucker. I think PJ Tucker has like an inherent toughness that like you just cannot teach. Like PJ Tucker is just that dude wants it more than anybody wants anything on this earth. But like Pat Connaughton, like you're right. He has that vertical leap and he figured out like, how can I build an NBA career for myself with this tool, this tool, and this tool? Like he doesn't have that much, but he's figured out exactly how to make the most of what he is. And he turned into like a decent enough player. Sure. And like, when you're talking about those turnovers off of passes, this was something Yossi and I were talking about in the last episode. The Bucks really missed Dante DiVincenzo because they really missed just having like one extra guy who could attack a closeout and make something happen out of it, where Connaughton's just not really equipped to do that. So they were asking him essentially to be Dante DiVincenzo when he's not. He's, he's just not that good. But he still turned out to play like 33 minutes a game, something like that in the finals. And he was like pretty valuable, right? Like, I'll take how many guys in the NBA with 130% of the rebounding. Like well, how, that how rebounding, many guys in the NBA can play 33 minutes in the finals? It's not a super long list. You're talking about maybe 70 guys at most. Yeah. Something like that. It's like there, if you were to average out across every team, you could probably find on the, on even the worst NBA teams, like maybe like one or two guys on a very good NBA team. It's just like five or six. It's like I mean, three guys per team, give or take. Let's do this. I'm going to go to Portland, Denver. Okay? okay, because I want to make a point about Portland really quickly. I'm going to go to Portland, Denver, and I'm just going to name you the guys on Portland that are not Damon CJ that can play 33 minutes in the finals game right now. Norm Powell. That's the list. Oh, can, Norm can do it. Norm won't be great at it, but again, we're comparing him to Pat Connaughton right now. Robert Covington can do it. Simons can't. Hollis Jefferson can't. Cantor can't. <laughs> Funny. Uh, Nasir Little can't. Uh, Derek Jones Jr. can't. Like I don't Carmelo, think Carmelo Anthony. Yes. If Car- well, Carmelo, it's, just, it's sort Yusef of fitting, right? Yusef Nurkic can't play 33 minutes right now. Well, I mean, let, let's just point this out because I know Portland people just are so attached to him. Brooke Lopez didn't play 33 minutes in this series. Brooke Lopez is better than Yusef Nurkic. I, I, I had to think for a second there because I love Yusef Nurkic so much. <laughs> But you're right, because <laughs> they they're getting paid essentially the same amount of money. But like, I love I love Yusef Nurkic's passing so much. Well, but just I, think about what the finals really mean. Like, let's let's be totally realistic. Next year, there's a good chance Kevin Durant is going to be on one side of it. Stephen Curry's been on it five times. You know, like LeBron. Like, you're probably playing against the exact sort of offensive player where if you're not an awesome pick and roll defender as a big man, you are going to be in serious trouble. Yep. And that yep. was like, I, I mean, Brooke, we saw his limitations early in the series, right? Like game one, they're switching and Chris Paul is just roasting him. They try dropping and then, okay, Chris Paul does his little snake dribble. It took them like, it took them four or five games to really figure out like, this is our personnel. This is how we can defend the Suns with the players that we have. And to their credit, they did it. But like, man, like a lot of, there are not a lot of teams that can like, willingly say like Brooke Lopez is one of our best players and they're going to be finals games where he only plays 20 minutes, right? Like they're really heavily invested in him. Well, uh, this is kind of going into a topic about what I was talking about pre-podcast and I'm not trying to bring up a sore wound here, but like, this is a Gasol problem, right? We're like, you have a Gasol and Gasol's, and I, I speak of them as if they're not human, it's because they're better than humans, but 
and I love Pow with all my heart, but there it has always been a theme in Pow's career where if you do not feed the beast enough, if you not if you do not give Pow love enough, sort of like you know like you're, you're playing a video game and like you're trying to like make sure whatever animal you guys like making sure like they produce for you, Pow's not going to give you what he wants, what, what what you want on the other end. Pow's not going to play defense. Pow's not going to set good screens. Pow's not going to be fun. Pow's going to be bitchy on the bench. He's going to be solid. He, he's going to sulk, right? You don't have those problems with Brooke. Brooke is like at that point of his career, especially because of how much losing I think he had to go through towards that end of that Brooklyn run or mediocrity at least, where he's willing to play any role for the sake of like being a part of the team um, where he can get like, he played 24 minutes Um I wouldn't have been surprised if it was 18. And again, just going to keep going down the list with Pete, with Bobby and PJ are two guys that could get paid more money, but well, PJ, I don't know if he could, but I wish he could. You want to go into the, the roster stuff for next year? Uh, Kind of. I will say, I'm just saying on the likability level, everyone in this roster is extremely likable. Brent Forbes is extremely likable. Like, I'm just losing those minutes to Jeff Teague. Like, that's got to sting. But, but, but that's the thing. Does it sting? Because, like, again, like, if you're thinking about it, right? You're Brent Forbes. What would you rather do? Would you rather, you know, potentially be the reason why you get burned on defense and have Devin Booker score like a million points on you or have Jeff Teague do it, take all the heat for it? And, you know, you get to bench ride for a little bit. It's a fair point, but, like, I've always just sort of wondered, I mean, especially now that, like, I do this for a living and I talk to players, even if you're the 15th man on the team, like, you are a part of the team's culture. You are valuable in that you are helping in practice and that, like, you know, there are, you have a role no matter what you're doing on the team. But, man, it would feel so weird to me to get a ring as somebody who wasn't playing. Like, oh, I'd want to be on the floor in the finals. Well, Tori Craig. <laughs> well, no, that's a whole other, that's a separate thing. Um, I mean, hey, I was going to say at the end of the bench, right, you have guys. The other thing about the Bucs is they're slowly fostering this internationalist culture that the Spurs had. And you see it all the time in team videos where, like, you have guys from a variety of backgrounds. Sam Merrill is the most Utah guy to possibly come to Milwaukee in a while. Um, Mama Diakete is from France, or, or I think he's, sorry. He's from Guinea. Uh, I thought he was from France. That is not Mamadi Diakete. That's Alexi Tupain. He's from France. Um, Jordan Awara, right? Jordan Awara just, I, he is, uh, he's, I think, in Buffalo, but he plays for the Nigerian national team. Um, and I believe he got into some stuff with on Twitter with Stephen A. Smith over, you know, not being able to pronounce his name correctly. He's been in the Olympics. He was part of that squad that beat the U.S. recently, right? Like, they, they, everyone in the Bucks, I feel like it's just, it's this, it's this team of like guys that I, I hate to compare them to a big market team, but it's so refreshing to have bench riders at the end of the bench that are not vets that sign for the minimum. It is so refreshing to have bench guys that are 22 years old. <laughs> like, well, it, because it's it just, it's, it's so rare in the new NBA. How the, can the, you talk about the Milwaukee bench and its international flair without mentioning Thanasis? They list him from Greece, but really he's from heaven. He's just like the best. I did not realize how much I missed the Nasus until game five. And I feel so awful about this. Like not seeing this weird, like, <laughs> you know, in video games where there's a graphic 
of someone just doing some motion. And this happens in sports video games all the time where like someone's doing a motion or something in the sideline. And it's very clear. The video game developer has not completed said game is like said player said like animations face beyond a few animations. That's like the Nasus only if the Nasus existed in beautiful, awesome, positive affirmations for his team. Every time a three gets made, he's pounding the court. He's pounding the pavement. Every time there's a dunk, he's jumping up and down. He's got the energy of God incarnated. I I am I did not realize how much I missed the Nasus because I was so no offense. I mean, I love him, but his minutes during the season were infuriating. <laughs> That's exact low said he drew 9.2 fouls every 36. Like insane. Well, my feeling watching Thanasis is that like when he's on the floor good or bad, I feel like anything is possible. Like, if you tell me that you're, I'm about to see the single greatest dunk in NBA history, like, sure, that could happen. If you tell me that the other team is going to go on a 13-0 run in 41 seconds, I would buy that too. Like, the Nasus, like, every year there are a couple of bench guys that, like, just their eyes are way bigger than their stomach in every way as a player. Josh Jackson was like this. Like, every year there's one or two guys like that. That's the Nasus, right? Like, when he comes in, you cannot take your eyes off Yep. And like, I am very much keeping an eye on Instagram live. Cause like eventually he's going to get out of quarantine and Giannis and he are going to have some sort of moment with the trophy. And I cannot wait to see it, but let's get into the off season stuff for next year. Ah. I have, I have the Bucks. <laughs> well, like, look, let's, let's, let's be honest about where they are. If James Harden and Kyrie Irving don't get hurt, they probably don't win the championship. Can you just at least agree with that? Sure. Yeah, like, I'm not going to do the thing. I don't believe in asterisks. I'm not going to do the thing where, like, oh, they shouldn't have won. Like, oh, they got lucky, yada, yada, yada. Everybody gets lucky. Like, I'm sorry, hey, every if, champion gets some break. Hey, but, if LeBron, if LeBron, a kajillion, can you hear me, Sam? Yeah. If LeBron isn't in the East, he doesn't make a kajillion straight finals. We have our flaws. Keep going. Okay, my counterpoint to this is that what we saw this year is, like, making the finals once is so, so hard. A guy making it eight years in a row is just like, I don't care how he does it. It's just so, so impressive. But the broader point here. We're not going to have this. This argument will be solved in the year 2076 when I'm dead. Okay. The broader point I'm trying to make is like, they can't go into next year thinking like, wow, we are the team to beat. Like they are going to have to make some decisions here. Right now I have them like around $12 million above the luxury tax threshold. That includes Bobby Portis's player option. We assume that he's going to opt out. Um, that does not include PJ Tucker, who is a free agent. And we don't know if they're going to use the mid-level exception. So I would guess that the Bucks are probably going to be willing to spend to some extent, but I don't think they're going to go all out. So Did if you- you're put in a position where you're willing, where you can either re-sign Bobby Portis or re-sign PJ Tucker, who are you choosing? Uh, one question. Did you put in the million dollar bonus that Drew Holiday got for one? Oh, yes. Speaking of which, thank you for bringing this up. The Milwaukee Bucks were below the tax line before game six, but because Drew Holiday got a million dollar bonus, that pushed the Bucks above the tax line. So not only are they paying the tax this year, their repeater clock gets pushed up a year. The repeater tax triggers when you are in the tax three of the previous four seasons, because Middleton, Giannis, and Holiday are all under contract for at least three more years, they're going to be in the tax for the next three years. So in that fourth year, I believe it's 2023, 24, they're going to pay the repeater tax. So like, I'm not going to say that money is tight. Like I will trust this ownership group to put forth a competitive product while you have a chance, while you have this window 
with this all-time great to do whatever it can, do whatever you can to keep trying to win championships. But there is a limit here, right? Like, let's say they're put in a position where they're thinking we can re-sign PJ Tucker for market value, or we can re-sign Bobby Portis for market value. What would you rather do? Ooh, um, well, how much is market value? Because I think the problem we're going to run into here is Portis is more valuable on court, but Portis is also going to be comically overpaid. Okay, well, there are a couple different considerations here. Number one, P.J. Tucker is 36. We don't know how much longer he's going to be P.J. Tucker. He's also P.J. Tucker. Well, right, that's fair, but, like, I don't, like, if you're already scoring zero points in finals games, like, at this stage, I don't know. Like, I'd be very worried that if he loses even a little bit on defense, you're looking at a not great contract there. And now, like, to be clear, P.J. Tucker has been underpaid his entire career. So, like, by all means, man, go get the bag. Like, you've earned it. But I'm just saying, if we are looking purely from the perspective of, like, what puts us in the best position next year, I might not feel so great about that contract, is all. Bobby Portis, though, like, he's 20. I believe he's 26. Um, Even if he is, like, even with that youth, he's a 15-minute-a-game player, right? Like, he's somebody that when it really, really counts, you're not starting him like you did, PJ. So, I get both sides of it. I think I would lean Didn't he start? Didn't he start? Bobby? He started when Giannis was out. He started when Giannis was out, and then he closed yesterday. So, you know what? I guess he does have some scaling like potential. He played, he played out of his mind yesterday. They're not winning that game without Bobby. Well, the other part of it is he, he shoots so well that theoretically when Brooke Age is out, maybe you say he's the long-term front court partner for Giannis, and Giannis is functioning as your center on defense. And, well, the other thing about Bobby, too, is that Bobby is – Bobby's 6'10". If Bobby transitions into a more traditional big, he might still get roasted on pick and rolls. Fine. He can play rim defense to an extent. And I think if you can schematically work the right way, and if the roster tilts more to the guard spectrum, you could potentially keep Bobby on the floor and have him in less exposing, like situations with a little bit less exposure in the future. But again, that it, it all is based on how much, how much is the guy getting paid? Because I okay. I'll tell you what. A forty-seven percent shooter from three is a godsend, and he was the only. I think he was like the Bucks as a team were shooting terribly from three, and even he still finished with thirty-five percent. So like he's a knockdown. You need a shooter like that. But at the end of the day, like I'm not gonna throw the I'm not gonna throw the arc for Bobby Portis. It, like it's not it's not that justifiable, but also like he's a folk hero. Wisconsin loves folk heroes. Okay, let me throw this out there. I'll throw out these deals. Let's say you have to go up to the taxpayer mid-level on Bobby Portis. You're giving him, let's say, three years, 18 million-ish. Or you're paying full mid-level money to PJ, but you're only paying him for two years. So like two years, 20. Which contract sounds more appealing? Bobby. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. Like, I hate to say you should let PJ go. I'm doing dumb math, right? Because I'm looking at the numbers and... I'm, yeah, of course I'd rather get six million than ten. But at the end of the day, too, you know, I could go up to PJ and be like, "Look, you're 37 years old. We want you here for the culture. 
you go you you can play in the playoffs, but you're not we we both know you're not going to play during the season. Or at least you're not going to play major minutes. I would sincerely oh. hope. By the way, I would guess that the starting lineup just reverts to DiVincenzo taking back Tucker's spot. I do want to throw this out there though. We talked about Conathan versus DiVincenzo. DiVincenzo is better, but the Bucks did just win a championship with Conaton in DiVincenzo's role, essentially. I wouldn't mind shopping around a little bit and seeing if you could turn DiVincenzo into more of a ball handler because their real weakness in the finals was their half-court offense. They wanted to turn DiVincenzo into Bogdan Bogdanovich. Obviously, they didn't. It worked out fine for them. I don't think there's a Bogdan Bogdanovich out there right now, but if you could follow a similar like formula and try to find somebody of that ilk, I wouldn't think it's the worst thing. I looked around, there are just not that many ball handlers that sort of fit that and that you could also like feasibly work in a trade. So I'll just throw this out there to you, just something I've been mulling. I think the Bucks would say no. What about Dante DiVincenzo for Kobe White? And my argument for this is that the Bulls are about to sign some expensive point guard. It might be Lonzo Ball, might be Dennis Schroeder, whoever it's going to be. <laughs> they're not going to have, like, they're not going to start Kobe White next year. If their backcourt is, let's say it's Lonzo and Levine, they probably need more of like a, you know, a wing, like a three and D guy. Even Chenzo makes more sense for that than Kobe White does. And then the Bucks get like this high upside former number seven overall pick that could like maybe grow into a meaningful score for them. What do you think about that? Uh, oh. That's the exact sound I was expecting, right? Cause it's, like, it doesn't it's sound it's good. A very tough, it's a very tough trade because you have to assume Pat is not – you have to assume Pat's not picking up his player option in 2022-23. So then you're stuck with, a, with the problem of trying to re-sign both Pat and Dante at the same time. Well, no, you're trading Dante in this scenario. Right, but then Kobe White is 2022-23. Well, but – The team option, and now you're signing Kobe White the year you're supposed to enter the repeater tax, which no one wants to do. Right. Now – at that point, Brooke has expired. So at least you've got that going for you. But remember, you either have to, like, I assume they're not letting DiVincenzo go. He's the only rotation player on the team that's younger than Giannis, right? Like, if you want to have an extended window, you do need more young guys around. Did uh, DiVincenzo is extension eligible this offseason. Kobe White is still has two years left on his rookie deal. So you're at least delaying the extension for whoever's in that slot by a year. <sighs> Yeah, but again, I uh, – how's Kobe White's attitude? I don't – like, I think it's fine. Like, he's certainly, like, one of these guys that wants to take as many shots as possible, right? Like, confidence just, is not his issue. can't do that in Milwaukee. Right. I mean, that's – and, like, we've sort of talked about this with a lot of the fake Colin Sexton trades where a lot of the teams that sort of make sense for him – are teams where he could not play the way that he does in Cleveland. The truth is you never know how a guy like that is going to adjust to being on a winning team. But I think he's young enough that he's probably a little malleable. And like, honestly, we've seen what a great job they've done of building a culture. I think when Giannis gets his hand on a guy, like you can get that guy to buy in a little bit. Well, see, this is the weird thing is like, you bring in like, you bring in someone like Kobe White. Now all of a sudden I want to sign PJ again. If Kobe White's on the bench, right? And it's like, okay, you've got Kobe White. He's now supposed to be the seventh man. Oh, by the way, we don't have anyone else. He's the guy. And all of a sudden, Kobe's like, oh, I'm the seventh man. I got to take shots. Like, 
no, no, no. We need you to be this type of seventh man. You need some vets to mold you into that player because when you come out of college, you have a certain mentality, what kind of player you want to be. And it's so difficult for people to become veterans in the NBA. And I've such a, I've developed such an appreciation for it, but to slot themselves perfectly into that veteran type of role, this is something that Portland, I think does. And pri- this is primarily a Damian Lillard thing better than pretty much anyone in the league. And that's why Pat Connaughton turned out well is like, I, 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 I don't know how many times this has happened. I'm just saying this having followed Portland for many years where it always felt like every other year there was a new guy who's like, okay, you're a guard-ish. You're good. Can you shoot? Okay, you can shoot. We don't care if you play defense. Just run the floor and just, like, help drain threes for us. And also, you can dunk sometimes. And, you know, if you could just serve that role on offense, we'll be happy with you. If you shoot efficiently, we might even sign you to an extension, right? And, like, it was very jarring for me to see them trade for Norm Powell because I always thought they would just sign Jerry Trent, but that's another conversation entirely. Um, I The other thing, too, is I'm wondering, like, do, do any of the young guys that they have on the minimum get better, right? Like, I think everyone knows the Nassus is going to stay in Milwaukee for the minimum salary until Giannis. He's going to – well, it's like, going to be like Haslam, right, where, like, he's just going to play, like, 200 minutes a year for the next 20 years. Uh, I, I mean, I think he'll play. He'll play a little bit more, but it's going to be the same basic thing. Yeah, I, I, I just think like the Nassus is the culture guy. He's there. It's, it's like, it's like, uh, it's like Giannis. It's like a Giannis tax. Like the Nassus is there to keep Giannis happy, and we all are happy for him, and we want that to happen. So that's okay. <laughs> like right, I, I, having the Nassus at the minimum is a good contract. Um, Bryn Forbes, does he take his player option? I would guess yes. I don't know. Well, I don't know because shooting is so valuable to bad teams that like I could certainly see a lottery team to say like we have minutes to fill a guard. He can give us 18, 20 minutes of regular season shooting. Let's give him, I don't know, 3 million to four. I don't I, I would say if I were him, I would opt in, but. He's got two point. He's tough. got 2.4. Yeah. It's he's above the minimum. Think, yeah. But do you think he's leaving a title contender for $600,000? I don't think he well, is. I think he might just from the perspective of like, he wants to go somewhere and raise his value. He wants to make money. Okay. And it's hard to do that in this situation where, you know, they just went through a title run and he wasn't playing in the finals. That looks bad for him, right? Like if you go to Orlando or wherever and you play 20 minutes a game, like maybe if you do that, the next contract is four or 5 million. I, I don't know. Like I think there's a chance. I personally would say if I were him. I mean, he averaged 10 points this year on 45% three-point shooting. He was great in the regular season. I'm not like, this is sort of the contention tax, right? Like a lot of guys lose money by losing minutes in the playoffs that they never would lose if their teams never made the playoffs. This is the danger of signing with a winning team. This is what happened to Andre Drummond, essentially. Like that's the high end version. He goes to the Lakers thinking, oh, I'm going to help them win a championship. And what turns out is like, oh, you can't play in the playoffs. And now teams that might want to sign you, they know that. Well, also you're a, you you uh you you demanded starter minutes when you weren't a starter. Maybe maybe that's a problem. Sorry, I, I, I can't stand him. Andre Drummond does not yet grasp that he's not a starter. So how dare you? Um, but that's the basic. That's the risk, right? Like, if you're Bryn Forbes, you might be able to a get a little bit more more money next year by going to a bad team. But like B, you're really mitigating your risk because if you go there and you average ten points on forty five percent shooting, and you don't have this like playoff downgrade in value. 
then the next team probably going to offer you a little bit more. So if it's financial for him and he already has a ring at this point, then I could really see him just saying, you know, screw it. I'm going to go make my money. Uh, so I'm just taking a look at a few more contracts. Jeff T probably resigns for the minimum. Uh, they have Diakete. I don't know if Diakete is going to develop. He's very raw. Um, Alexi, you keep Jukan- a couple of guys like that though. Like there's nothing wrong with having a guy like that on your bench. Just no, no, you absolutely want guys like that. Yeah. Uh, Sam Merrill. I think he, they like him. They him. like him. Yeah. But I haven't seen anything out of him. Um, by the way, they're still paying Mirza Toledovic. <laughs> no, um, I love that. I, love I think this is the last year that they're, he, he's not on the books for next year. I think that was this year was the last year. 3.5 million. And it's the ones that the dead money for next year, I believe is Lure and Larry Sanders. Larry Sanders is not dead money. It's, it's live money. And then they, they waived Rodion's Kuruks, but that was, that's only, they didn't stretch him. That's just this year. Correct. But the point is like right now with assuming Portis opts out, they're at like something like 142, 143. I think the realistic ceiling, like even after winning a championship, it's probably something like 155, 160. I think. It's it's a weird sort of it's a weird sort of thing. Um, but I have this I have this fantasy that I don't think will happen where so teams don't teams find themselves at a certain point in their nucleus as good teams and we can we have lots of data over the years of when teams do this it doesn't always happen where they have the stellar regular season and then they win the title and then they keep going and then they do better like it should happen that way but it doesn't always happen that way a lot of people forget that yes uh the 2011 miami heat played a certain way they crushed the playoffs for three rounds and then dallas threw lebron his own and carlisle just coached eric spolster under the table and they got embarrassed and they don't find their way until Chris Bosch goes out the next year in the conference finals. Then they finally figure out, Oh my God, we can just play this way with LeBron and Wade and have this like two headed demon, but we can just make LeBron the head of the snake and everything else will fall forward because we have to. And LeBron can just play this like amazing small ball lineup. They use that the next year and i believe that was their 66 and 16 season right yeah that was the base where i think Badier was the it was bosch at center and Badier was the quote-unquote power forward correct and and i think for milwaukee they didn't find out who they were until Giannis leaves for the atlanta series and i think okay yes brooklyn probably wins the conferences here I don't think Brooklyn wins the title. I, I think, think you're crazy. I think Brooklyn was so dominant offensively that they would have gotten to the Phoenix series and they would have just like, I, I think they would have just scored 130 points a game. Like, I don't think that was really, but we're talking, but, but here's the thing we're talking with, we're talking about Brooklyn and theoreticals. They played together for like five games this season. Fair. Yeah. Um, but I, I just felt like what I saw from them defensively in the buck series before Kyrie went out, that was enough for me. Like that wasn't what the bucks were on defense. It wasn't what the Suns were at their best, but like they were a good defensive team. And when you're that good on offense, just being okay is enough. But I think, and again, this is this is a little bit of optimism baked in. 
I think Milwaukee found something both on defense and offense that they can work with going forward. And I think if you look at the most optimistic projection of next year, they could be headed for like a real excellent season. Well, the counter is that they've already had that season, right? Like they've already had two like historic regular seasons. I don't think that means all that much to them. Now, if you're saying like, you think they're going to go back to what they were in the regular season the last few years, I could buy into that, but I think the real improvement has been in the playoffs. No, no, no. When I say, I, I guess what I mean is like, they have a great regular season and like, they don't make, they, they, they have a more streamlined offense that doesn't screw up. Like they are a more efficient team. They uh, don't have clunkers like losing by, I think they lost by 22 to the Spurs in the final days of the season. That was what cost them home court in the net series. Right. Bucks did this all year. They would have this one random loss to a like mediocre team. And those just add up over the course of the season. So I guess what I'm trying to say is like, I think the Bucks load manage a lot better. And I think when then next year comes in the playoffs, they're playing Brooklyn, they're playing whatever, like then you can start having conversations about how things go because like, look, we've unlocked the start of peak Giannis. We're not to the end of peak Giannis yet, but we're at the start of it. And people are like, okay, Alpha LeBron 2013, it's not going to get better than that. And then LeBron got better than that, at least offensively. Then, like, like, I did not think LeBron would have his best statistic offensive playoffs when he was, I think, 33. Are you talking 2018? Yeah. I did not think that was possible. He attained a mastery of offensive basketball at that point that I don't think we're ever going to see again. No, no. The closest we got is Jordan in 93. And and I, at the end of the day, I don't think I've seen, I don't think Giannis quote-unquote mastered offense this season, this series. He mastered his version of offense. I think as far as it goes on a two-way level, look, uh, I will begrudgingly admit LeBron's talent on the defensive end as much as anybody. I think people slightly underrate him during his prime and then overrate him after that. But that happens to a lot of stars, but some of the defensive plays I've seen in the series from Giannis and some of the help side coverage and some of the basic rotations and all that are, they're otherworldly. The dude was blocking shots yesterday that I, did he have five or six blocks? Five blocks. I mean, he was blocking shots out of the sun yesterday. Like, it was one of those, like, I hate to go into sports media cliches. That was just one of those, I am not letting us lose games. I think it was that simple. So I have my list of the 10 best playoff games, I think, in NBA history. I'll throw them out there to you. Like, let me know where you think Giannis falls. Giannis gets one of those slots. I don't know where he comes in. That was 100% one of the 10 best playoff games ever. There are three divisions here. There is the LeBron James division, which is 2007 against the Pistons, 29 out of 30 points. 2012 against the Celtics. That's the insane game six, 45 points in like three and a half, two and a half quarters. And then there's 2018 versus the Warriors, which is the 51 point finals game. There's the Michael Jordan division, which whoa, is. 80- whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a second. Whoa, you have done injustice to LeBron James. Well, what, what do you want to add? 41 in game six in 2016. Are you out of your, are you kidding? I'm not saying like. That, Look, no, that's in. That's in. We are – we're talking about LeBron James here. Like, you can have – like, 
he, he could realistically have like eight of these slots, and so could Michael Jordan. Like, we have to draw the line somewhere. That's what I'm no, saying. That 41, no, that 41 game six makes it. It, it has the okay. highest game score in NBA Finals history. Okay, well, let's go through the rest of this list and tell me what doesn't make it, okay? It's in the finals. Michael Jordan, 63 points versus the Celtics. Michael Jordan, 55 against the Suns in the finals. And then Michael Jordan, 98 versus the Jazz when, like, his team was dead. Uh, and then there's the non-LeBron, non-Michael Jordan division, which is Kevin Durant's 49-17-10 with no help whatsoever. Uh, Magic Johnson playing center versus the Sixers. And then the one that nobody talks about, 1962, Bill Russell, game seven versus the Lakers, 30 points, 40 rebounds. So what is LeBron game six replacing there? It's hard, right? Um, probably the Durant game, actually. I disagree. I, I disagree. Well, I'm sorry. Let me just let me just put this out there. It occurred in the finals against a 73 win team. I am I get Durant did a lot, but as someone who watched that game, the Bucks lost that game. The Bucks did not play well at all. Like the Bucks completely, completely lost that game. Um, and I get that Durant did as much as he could, but like, and also statistically speaking, by the way, there's a game that I want to put in here and I don't care how biased I sound because I love this guy, but I'm putting it in there because statistically it shouldn't be possible. And also because it broke game scores just as a stat, uh, Damian Lillard's 55 against Denver is statistically one of the best players. I just, I, I'm sorry. I can't take the Denver defense seriously enough to put them on, put them on this list. Like look at the defense. Like Durant is a perfect example. Look at how good Milwaukee's defense is and look at how easily Kevin Durant like scored almost 50 on them. That's my point, right? Like look at the defenses, the Pistons that LeBron beat, like they won a title. The 04 Pistons were like maybe the greatest defensive team in NBA history, right? Like the Celtics had KG, the Warriors were always incredible on defense. They had Draymond, like, Go down this list. All of these teams have like either an all-time defender or were really, really good on defense. The Nuggets were not that, but like, let's focus on Giannis. Where does Giannis fall? I'm not, I'm not focused. I am not focused on the defense so much as I'm focused on the fact that again, he broke game score. The guy, okay, Kevin Durant. That Brooklyn game broke game score as well. Fifty. He scored a fifty on game score, which again is insane. Um. The Sleepy Floyd, and, and for reference on game score, the Sleepy Floyd game is a 49. Damian Lillard's a 55, okay? A 55. That would rank that would rank fifth all time in all the games. All the games. The guy shot. The guy shot. Let me just take a look here. Uh, he shot 70% from the field and 70% just, from the I am not taking a first-round series. I'm not taking a first-round over. I'm not taking a 10. I'm not taking a first round series seriously on the, like when you're talking about the best of LeBron James and the best of Michael Jordan, I'm sorry. I'm not taking a first round game against a horrible defense. Seriously. Then it's I a should great take game. A, I, shouldn't take a second game. I shouldn't take a second round game five in which he loses a series two games later. Seriously either. Because one is against the team that got swept in the second round and the other is against the eventual champions. Right. And Lillard, like Lillard has a bad team around him, but like, Lillard could pass to CJ McCollum. He could pass to Norm Powell. Kevin well, Durant, like, who was he passing pass. to in that game? Okay, well, Lillard tried to pass to CJ McCollum. Apparently, CJ McCollum doesn't know what inbounds is. So th that's actually false. He can't pass to CJ McCollum. Can we talk about Giannis, please? Just tell me where he comes in. I mean, I, maybe we need more than 10 games. 
because these are all unimpeachably great games. I'm not going to discredit Bill it, Russell. It's a tier, right? Like there's no there's no single best game in NBA history. Right. And and I mean it, it's also tough cuz like fine, you don't take first round games seriously. I'm thinking about Jordan scoring 56 against Miami to sweep them and it's like Fine, it's not the finals, but it's like one of the classic. I'm fine with the first round game if it's like against the right opponent, right? Like Jordan 63 was in the first round, but it was against the 86 Celtics, who are one of the best teams ever. Um, I'm looking and like, like there's a lot of like Barkley had 43 and 10 against the Sonics. Uh, to beat them in a three-two series in the first round, like I'm just lo- I'm just looking at like I'm just using game score and I'm just looking at like disgustingly amazing playoff games, because again you could also like how many t- like LeBron's entire 2009 playoffs can't even be taken as a game. It's an entire playoffs worth of games. Like well, let's let's also so just say this: like, there there are two guys that have half of my list, like or more of it. Really, there are two guys that have sixty percent of it. Like LeBron has three games, MJ has three games. Nobody else has more than one. Giannis is 26. He might have more than one. That says a lot. Yeah. I mean, I'm wondering, right? Like next year, if they bring this back and like maybe improve on the margins a little bit, maybe get another ball handler. Like, I'm curious. Like, I I think they're probably worse than the Nets, but we'll see how that series goes, assuming everybody's healthy. But like, if they lose, we saw all of the problems that the Nets have with Giannis. Like, could Giannis have like another 50 point playoff game against them? I don't know. Like, I feel like the sky is the limit right now is essentially my point. I think, I think it's, I, I also think it's a disservice to, and I'm not trying to knock your criteria too much. I think it's a little bit of a disservice to rank all playoff games. Cause there's so many of them just like, cause at, at the end of the day, for me, finals games are in their own tier. If we're going to go by that data. Um, eh, I don't know. Like, they all, no, I feel like there are a certain number the of finals. Teams. You are, at the end of the road, everyone is extremely tired, like insanely tired. Each team is battling injuries. There's the fan factor. Everyone's in the arena. You have the mortality factor of, and this is why LeBron's game six matters so much to me. They are done. If he loses that game at home, that is one of the most, that is, that caps off 50 plus years of extremely heartbreaking Cleveland sports losses. How heartbreaking would that have been? Is he scores 41 in game five. He plays really well because LeBron is magic in elimination games. He plays really well in game six. Kyrie plays well in game six. Steph wins. How does, how would that, it would be terrible. It would be awful. And what happened? The opposite happened. Like you were sending me messages. Uh, I remember that was a day I had a really big, uh, a really big project at my job the next day and I had to wake up super early and I hated the fact that NBA games were so late back then. And I remember waking up to about like 18 text messages from you, from you, one of which just being the crowd has been starting to make whale noises. Now you have never texted me something that deranged ever. I remember that I screenshotted all those texts and I posted it as a story. Like I just had to have my immediate reactions as that was happening. I mean, you were losing it, and and for good reason. Like I, I still to this day, I'm just thinking of like how many how many moments in NBA history are as free loving and as ridiculous as like LeBron like finding a loose ball, running to it in the middle of the paint, and just like 
giving like some sort of like, I don't know, like some sort of pass. You'd see a coach, a person give an assistant coach in practice, just ballyhoos it with one hand just suddenly lands. JR gets a three off of it. One of my like sneaky hot takes that I've never really had an avenue to explore is that LeBron was actually significantly better in the 2017 finals in 2016. It just didn't matter because Durant was on the Warriors. And I, I hate, I think that's, you know, the, to bring it back more into the box, you know, when Giannis is like saying, I, Giannis like completely taking the super team torch and being like, I didn't want to be on a super team. By the way, the super teams he's going to play next year, they're not going to appreciate that. Yeah, but at the end of the day, if you're a basketball fan, this makes sense. Because why do, like, we talked about this off air a lot. Why do people, why does Kevin Durant have such a problem with NBA? Why is Kevin Durant arguing on Twitter space? Like, I made the joke that, like, <laughs> you have to have some major problem with how fulfilled you are in life. If you're, or if you're opening up an $1,800 bottle of Merlot on a Friday night and saying, all right, it's time to argue with the fans on Twitter. Let's argue about Steph Curry and James Harden, baby. Let's go. Like, you have to have a lot wrong with you, at least in terms of your personal fulfillment, to go ahead and think that is the best use of your time and, like, think, like, like you're so invested in what people think of you that that's what you're doing. Like, we have Giannis with a wife, a baby, and possibly another on the way. I'm not sure about that. Uh, I think so, yeah. We have his entire family living with him or living near him. We have him saying how much he loves the city of Milwaukee with the same teammate that he fought for, you know, to get minutes with uh, as a rookie, right. Winning the title and having this sort of fairy with this, you know, Cinderella story way of doing all of this and not having any of Jordan's psychosis that made him such a cold human being. Like when I saw Giannis on the podium yesterday, I like, you know, doing dumb childish stuff, like kissing the finals trophy and telling his finals MVP not to get jealous. Like that's the wholesome. Like that's someone who is completely fine with their lives now. And to go out and have the confidence to be like, making jokes like I want rookie of the year and six man of the year. I want to make a time machine or like then, or, or, or saying things like, I don't care. Like, like, I don't care if we don't win another title, this was worth it. While on the inside, we both know he is competitive. That's, that's something I have not seen out of anyone in the NBA in several decades. And that is different. It's fresh. Like I was saying about the veterans riding the end of the bench, like, I'm sorry, it's nice to not have like, oh yeah, here's here's uh, Andre Higuodala who made like a ton of money. Oh, there's most. How dare you slander Andre Higuodala? He is not in that class. I mean, the guy went to Memphis and been like, I don't want to play there. Was was this pre or post Gasol and Conley? No, I'm just saying, like, Andre Higuodala is not like some minimum guy. Like, he has way more stature than that. Okay, Andre Godal is a bad example. Can you just give me a minimum guy other than Mo Spades? I don't want to slander Mo Barbosa. 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 I'm just thinking about the Warriors. Barbosa. Barbosa's great. No, I'm just thinking about who are the minimum bench guys on the Warriors. Okay, I I get your point though. I do want to just the guy like David West is a great example. Like like guys that nakedly went ring chasing for like the last five years of their career, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. 
but they always do it in big markets. They always do it with the sense of like, I'm playing five minutes a game and I'm spending the other 20, I'm, I'm spending the other like six nights a week, like going and frequenting San Francisco's hottest clubs. Like it's great. That's fine. But it really like, it, it means something to me. Like these are young guys that are enjoying Milwaukee and Milwaukee's not like a, a phenomenal city, but it's like, you're, you're doing, you're doing what you're handed and you're not trying to game the situation for your best interest. And that's why like, you know, Giannis saying like, yeah, I could have been in the super team and it would have been easy. Like you could say that cause you just scored 50 points in the finals. You just had like four game. You had four all time highlights in the same series. Think about it. Like we have a dunk that occurred in the last minute of play. We had uh, two chase down blocks that were, Utterly, but we the first chase down block was compared to the greatest block of all time. The second chase down block won them the game. Uh, oh, I thought you were even, I thought you weren't even counting the eight and block. I thought you were thinking the game one chase down and the one on bridges last night. I mean, and then again, eight is in a separate class, but but like that's the thing. Like, we're I had this feeling like the when I think of the finals. And I think of like the 2017 finals, I remember one shot, which is Durant pulling up for three on LeBron at the very end of the series, sweeping them, putting it to bed. When I think of the 2016 finals, I can think of like seven different shots I remember. And I, I got to I don't keep bringing them up, but like Simmons made this great analogy a long time ago where like certain NBA titles are like different sizes of trophies. Yeah. Where like the best ones are like the 40 pound like gigantic Wimbledon trophy, right? This feels like a bigger trophy than it, I thought it well, would. Well, honestly, and, like there, there are points to that on both sides. Like th- for Giannis is like specifically to have the closeout game that he had and obviously to do it in Milwaukee, like that counts for a lot, but we also can't ignore the competition that he faced compared to like a relative run. And the pe- the title run that people are comparing this one to is Dirk in 2011. And there are a lot of similarities I still lean Dirk as the slightly more impressive one just because, like, he went through Kobe, Durant, and LeBron in a row. Like, Andy my God, went, I don't think that'll ever be replicated. And he went through Brandon Roy and LaMarcus Aldridge on a decent team in the first round in well, a series that most people actually thought they were going to lose. Right, I was going to say, like, it's not that, like, you know, beating Brandon Roy and LaMarcus Aldridge is impressive, but it's not like Kobe or LeBron. A lot of people picked them to lose that series, and they won – the whole freaking thing. Like, I think Dirk winning in the way that he did, I will never have a more satisfying podium moment than him. Like, seeing him walk off the floor and then come back and then finally accept it. Like, Dirk had suffered more than Giannis had at that point. You know, he'd lost in the finals already. He had had that really humiliating um, loss in the first round the year later when he was the one seed they lose to the Warriors. And he accepts MVP. Like, what was it, from home or, like, from the – practice facility oh, I, beautiful feeling I remember, I like Dirk like Giannis has had some tough playoff losses Dirk had suffered right like that was I think like that was finally seeing him get to the mountaintop that I think is always going to be that's the single most impressive individual championship for me personally like especially when you factor in he didn't have an all-star teammate like all of that Giannis is not super far behind this isn't like the 40 pound insane huge trophy to me, but it's like, this is a very, very memorable championship. And I'm thankful for that because it looked like for a lot of different points in the playoffs and for a lot of different reasons, 
that this was, and I hate to use the word asterisk. I don't believe in asterisks, but like, I wasn't sure we were going to take this year's champion seriously, but the way that Giannis won it, we have to, we have no choice. He's earned that. I mean, at the end of the day, right. Um, I think, I think a lot of, and this has kind of been a huge problem with the Warriors and in particular, like LeBron in the East, where I always felt like the finals was not the finals, like the, not the two best teams, but like the best series, so to speak, between like the teams that were better than the other teams in the playoffs, where like it felt like, especially in 2017 and 2018, whatever the West finals were, that was the best series. Well, I mean, Kawhi got injured, but. Right. I was going to say, remember, LeBron was the only guy to take a game off the 2017 Warriors. Yeah, but the Spurs were going to take multiple games off that team if Zaza was Juliet. They were leading by one. They would have won game one. I don't think that would have been a super competitive series. And the thing that people always point to is that the Spurs crushed them on opening night as well. But, like, I I just think the Warriors would have overwhelmed them, just like they would have overwhelmed everybody else. The 2017 Warriors are the greatest team in NBA history to me. I am too biased to answer that question. Uh, (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Um, I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, in terms of the best teams, like, in 2018, the Rockets Warriors series was infinitely more watchable than the finals. As you go to the finals, you're like, this team's gonna lose. This team's gonna be getting clobbered. They have no business being here. I thought the same thing about the 2014 finals with LeBron, where you know everyone's looking at this Miami team just steamroll everybody in the playoffs. And I remember texting you the entire time, like this this Miami team has problems. This this team is not good. They're beating really bad competition. Okay, you don't want to bring up 2014 with me because remember, we were this was when you were my editor at the sports post. And after that series, I wrote the story. I think LeBron is going to go back to Cleveland. And you said, Sam, don't be dumb. We're not publishing that. And we didn't. And I was going to be right. So 2014, we, you were right. We were that entire postseason. We were talking about the problems that that team had, but they were also defending champions. Right. So like you kind of don't get to say the real finals in the West when they're the defending champions, it's their crowd and they'll take it. I we're not going to go into Miami heat you know, teared him here, but I just remember that playoffs just being just, I remember that playoffs just being so boring because I think they played the Bobcats or something in the first round. And I think that was like the LeBron dunks it and stares at Jordan thing. And like the Bobcats were like four to five games under 500 or something. And second round they played like, was that the, no, that was, that wasn't the Nate Robinson Bulls team. That was a hilarious series. I think. No, I think that was right. Because, I remember Jimmy had one, or maybe that was 13. I don't know. That was 13. I know that Jimmy had one great game on LeBron that they won. Uh, uh, that was in 2015. No, no. I think that against Miami, there was one. It might have been 2013. I don't know. But I know Jimmy had. Was that team, 2013 was that team that, like, this was my always, my big argument is, like, Thibs has these overachieving Chicago teams, but, like, they don't matter because Rose is injured every year. And um, it didn't matter. They, I think. I think they swept like pretty much everyone uh, except and, and the Pacers just like imploded. They were terrible. It was like, that was the Evan Turner awful. trade that like, it was never the same after that. It was so bad and they were so dominant and they were statistically so defensively good in the regular season. And they are like barely getting to the conference finals. And it's a surprise that Miami drops two games to them. Like it should, they should like, everyone's like, Oh, this is a sweet. This is over. And I, I was thinking the same way too. And they somehow, you know, languish it to six. Um, 
but I, I think in this year, yeah, we have a lot of injuries and we have a lot of things, but I personally don't think the Lakers would have gotten to the finals. I think that their chemistry problems were okay. way too prevalent. I have, I have a 10 minute lecture on this, but the short version is I think they would have made the finals considering the injuries that everybody else suffered. Right. Like, if they're playing Denver in the second round and the Clippers without Kawhi in the third, yeah, I think they would have made the finals. No, 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 no. Like, I think I'm, if you line assuming, up everybody fully healthy. In this case, we're assuming in this case the Lakers are healthy, which means, again, this Everybody's is healthy. all right. Yeah, and, and I then the, the Clippers, Clippers are the best the team Clippers in the world. Are, like, I think the Clippers are demolishing everybody. And I'll say this. I, I God, Lakers Twitter would kill me if they heard me say this. They will. I think Utah would have beaten the Lakers too if they were fully healthy. Because the Lakers are so dependent on getting to the basket, right? And the problem we saw in the Clippers series for Utah was like, this was their one Achilles heel, was when they run into this team that can pull Gobert away from the hoop, that's when they that's when they lose. The Lakers are the opposite, right? Like, they just want to attack the basket. Gobert would have given them so many problems. And, and I think, again, whatever you want to think about the East, right? Philly was going to get knocked out one way or another. And they had a very obvious giant you know six foot eight achilles heel brooklyn we can say what we want about it we never saw that team play and i just kind of have this feeling like okay if the clippers and bucks would have played a series it would have been close the clippers probably would have won but it would have been it wouldn't it wouldn't have been like a blowout series now that i've seen Giannis like kind of be this completely independent he would have been such a matchup problem for the clippers because they could not have gone small against him like that was out of the question no. So you're basically having to play Zubats. Yeah. And, and the other thing too is like, and this is kind of, this is my problem with Anthony Davis is like Kawhi Leonard is not going to want to go one-on-one against Giannis for seven games. Um, he's going to be like, he, he's going to make sure he, he's going to try whatever he can not to do that matchup because you know, you got to well, load manage, right? Like we, we saw this wanna... in the, in the 2019 or 20, yeah. 2019 series where the bucks win the first two games. And Kawhi walks into the locker room. And he says, like, I'm guarding Giannis the next two games. And they win four in a row. But he also had the wall. He had, like, a much, much better front court in that series than he would have this time around, like, with Zubac instead of Marcus Gasol. So, I don't know. I think that would have been a very competitive series. But, like, my honest answer, having watched all the, like, well, I haven't watched the playoffs in its entirety now, is that if the Nets were healthy, they were going to win the championship. I'm not going to say that's a guarantee. I feel pretty comfortable saying that. Like, they literally came an inch away from beating the Bucks with the injuries that they had, I don't know. I feel pretty comfortable saying that the Nets were the best team. Well, I mean, I think this kind of puts us in a good place narrative wise of like, here I am the long suffering Bucks fan. And we win a title for the first time in 50 years. I still have the banner from the godforsaken purple Bucks logo in my bedroom. Um, and all we can talk about is how the Nets <laughs> who constructed the super team with two, no, yeah, three of the most mercurial stars in the league uh, would have just cleaned the floor with them. And I think that's why this championship means so much is that it's sort of a, it's sort of a repudiation of like build your team fly by night. And, you know, if you have enough of, if you have enough star power, you will win the title. Um, Especially because, there was this comment that Larry Nance made where he's like, Giannis did everything the right way. And you look at, and he made this comment of like, you roll your eyes at certain other guys for like, 
you know, not doing things the way that other players would look at them and admire them for. But Giannis has done everything the right way. Um, I think Kevin Durant in particular doesn't get enough respect for his basketball talents. But I also think like Kevin Durant going to Golden State was going to mold his career in a certain in a, in a certain way. And we talked, I think you talked about it offline where like uh, if Kevin Durant would have instead went to the Knicks in 2019, it would have ended very differently instead of the Nets. And I think a little bit less of that. And I just think more of it. Well, the Warriors move is like, I hate to use this term, but like it's the original sin. Like that's the thing that everything sprouts, spouts out of. Well, it's funny because LeBron goes to the heat and we treat that like the original sin for a few years. When in reality, looking right back at it, it's not necessarily the original sin because they decimated their own cap. Like you have these contracts that are basically like, okay, you can sign Mike Miller and well, that's your signing. I think that that's the sort of like ideal super team scenario for the NBA, right? Where like, yes, you can put three stars together, but the Heat paid an enormous price to do that, which was like your fourth best player was Udonis Haslam, right? Like it was three guys and just not much else until they built it up over the next few years. Whereas the difference with Durant was like, he's going to this ready-made, fully complete championship team that had just won 73 games. That was where I think a lot of people saw the difference. Um, Like clearly both were super teams, but they were super teams in different ways. Like, LeBron was the narrative super team. The 2017 Warriors were like a literal, like super powered team. This yeah, is so I, off topic for us. Well, I mean, but, back but, to Giannis. Well, again, bringing it, well, bringing it back to him, right? It, it's Giannis. If Durant going to the Warriors is anti-competitive, right? And I like to think of like the Warriors as like sort of like Amazon, where like no matter what your political beliefs are, no matter what your ideologies are. I think I share this opinion with pretty much everyone I know where everyone looks at the inevitability of Amazon taking over retail industry and delivery and just the way the world works. And there's sort of this like begrudging. Yeah, they're doing it. But like, ugh, ugh, you know, like it could be anything from, you know, a person's buying experience on Amazon. They go on Amazon and they find an item and they don't have a good customer service experience because what they were looking for on Amazon isn't actually the item you end up ordering. And it comes in the mail and it's terrible. And then instead of being able to return it in a store like you would have been able to 10 years ago, now you got to return it online and mail a package and it's not fun. And all that convenience isn't fun. You get no, you don't get to, you know, get mad at a human face when your item doesn't look good because you're buying it off a computer screen, Right. And, but it's the sense of like, well, that's just the way it is. That's the way the world works now. This is, this is where the world, like, this is what the NBA is. The NBA is four guys that are Olympians. And uh, the fifth guy isn't like Joel Anthony. The fifth guy is either like Andre Iguodala, who's an all-star, or it's like a guy who could pretty much be a starter on any other NBA team. With Giannis, it's competitive. I think it restores competitiveness in the league where it's like, you have a guy who is really good and is really difficult to stop no matter what defense you throw at him. And you could try to stifle that threat, but, and it has been done. There has been heartbreak. There's been a series sweep. There's been the 2019 series, right? And even then, like there have been extensive failures. You got 2018. Um, they, who did they lose against in 2018? I'm going to look this up. The Boston um, Celtics, right? That, yeah, was Celtics, right? that was the seven games, right? Yeah. Right. They lose against the Celtics in 2018. 
I even think back in like 2015, they had a first round series with the Bulls that I think won seven games. And was that the Mike Dunleavy series? That was the Mike Dunleavy series. And I remember (laughs) it's kind of funny, but I remember that series being like this weird sort of experience for Milwaukee. And I remember thinking about it and thinking, oh, this team's going to have some, they're going to have some chips on their shoulder. Like there's like some toughness here. This is good. And I remember the very next year, Golden State goes on a 24-game win streak um, to start the season. They lose against the Bucs. This is the year they sign Greg Monroe. That was also, Giannis had a triple-double in that game, right? Like, that was his first real marquee moment. Correct. Giannis had a triple-double. OJ Mayo shoots the lights out of the building. Long live OJ Mayo. Long live Juice. Um, I Also, why did they call him Juice? I feel like Milwaukee PR did not know why, like... You don't want to bring up that OJ guys. Um, right. I'm just saying it's too easy. I, I know, but like they, they, it was to the point where the PA system would announce juice every time he hit a three. And I just remember going to one game and be like, this isn't that great of an idea. Is it? it this isn't good. Right guys. Anyways. But I remember they, they start to have these moments that are like memorable, not sustainable, but they're memorable. They, they, they make sense. And then, and I, that was a very good Jabari Parker game as well. Um, then Jabari gets injured. OJ gets injured. They just get completely decimated. They're not going to make the playoffs. Point Giannis starts. Um, Giannis has some chemistry problems for the next year, year and a half. They, there's a lot of like strife in the team. And then I remember the start of the 2018 season. This is right after he wins most improved player. Um, he's playing LeBron early in the season, like maybe I think 10 games in. And this is after the Kyrie trade. Uh, It's bad for Cleveland. They started like four and six or something. And you already are starting to see problems. Like they're starting like Wade Crowder, LeBron, Derek Rose, and Kevin Love. It's just defensive catastrophe. And Giannis gets a career high. He gets 40. Um, They win. The Cavs win by 10 because LeBron plays out of his mind. But like Giannis gets 40 on him. And Giannis is just, oh my God, he's destroying these guys. Like Jay Crowder can't even be in the same room as him. J.R. Smith looks like he wants to go back to college. Dwayne Wade looks washed. Like it felt good to look at that game. And I just was like bookmarking. I'm like, good. He's arrived. I'm just like, I'm bookmarking this every time it's happening. And um, it, it's also starting to like fit in my head. Like, oh, he's playing better when the stakes are higher. He's playing better when he plays LeBron because he had a previous career high a few years ago, um, 33 against the Cavs. I think it was in 2015, 16 as well. And I remember that game, I'm pretty sure LeBron was directly defending him and he just kept shooting over him, shooting over him. And it worked. Um, it's, it's weird to track Giannis's career, but he has that sort of, he has the Jordan competitive gene without being a terrible person. <laughs> um, and it's so nice and refreshing to see that get rewarded in a league where it feels like chess maneuvering and Game of Thrones math is what really gets rewards now. It, 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 it is. And I, I'm hopeful the Bucks can replicate it in some way in the next three years. It doesn't have to be next year. But at the same time, I know that's because we have this run and we have these games. Now, like Giannis is at the throne. Like people, people can say whatever they want about KD being excellent, all these players being excellent, but like 
you have the best player in the league. It's 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 Giannis. It's going to be Giannis for the next four years. It's going to be Giannis until he stops being healthy or whatever. Like it's his. Like you can say Kevin Durant might be better than, but Kevin Durant. Well, Giannis pretty... himself said Kevin Durant is the best player in the league. I don't yeah, like that but... logic a lot of the time because that's how you get into a lot of like Kobe is the goat and Jamal Crawford's Hall of Famer conversations. But like I felt like they went toe to toe and Durant was better. That's my opinion. And then Giannis, two weeks later, hyperextended his knee and put in statistically the greatest finals of all time. But I'm listen. If you want to put Giannis number one, I'm not going to argue with you. I do think we do tend to get a little recency bias. Like we did this with Kawhi, right? Like Kawhi was not the best player in the NBA, and we we kind of fell for it. He wins the 2019 title, and we all say, "Oh, now it's Kawhi's league." Well, really, it wasn't. He was still excellent. He was still a top five player. But like my view is like. What Durant did, like he went against Giannis and he outplayed him. That's my perspective. Again, I, I think it's so. I think it's very different to do to to, to pin it on these one on one matchups because they're not directly playing each other. Like they have very no, goals in what they're doing. Like Durant, Durant was Durant, better in that Durant series. Is, yeah, Durant's a killer, but like Giannis's game seven isn't to be ignored either. What was his game seven against? No, Brooklyn? like he was fantastic. He had forty in that game. Like look. This is a good problem to have, right? Like, you'll take whoever you can get out of those two. But, like, I would still lean Durant as the best player. I want to see what happens when those two teams fully healthy go at each other. And I think Giannis jumped a level after that Nets series, right? Like, I think he was better against Phoenix significantly than he was against the Nets. I want to see that version of him, hopefully with a slightly upgraded roster too, going up against the team that Durant chose. Yeah, and 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 the other thing I have to say to an extent is, like, Giannis is the thing that marks me about Giannis too is he was playing so much on both ends. He was gassed beyond gassed every game. Like he's he, he has the Matthew Dellavedova treatment where after game five he gets the IV. Like he is heaving, and and this is from Brooklyn series. Like I'm look, I'm thinking of the game seven where like every player is heaving. Giannis looks like he's gonna fall over and start cramping by the end of the first quarter, and. That to me is it's really significant that like he's it's just really significant that he's he's doing that much on both ends of the floor. And I, I just think we don't there isn't a way to quantify just how much work he has to do defensively as this sort of big small hybrid. Like we saw him on Chris Paul a lot in game six. That's a lot of work. Like I'm sorry, like, I love Kevin Durant, but, like, Kevin Durant's guarding P.J. Tucker most of the time. Okay, he, Kevin Durant was, like, I think he's significantly underrated on defense. That's another conversation. Uh, I, I just, overall, though, like, I'm, I'm excited to go into next year with this sort of, like, Giannis, I guess he starts in pole position as, as the defending champion, but, like, Durant has every reason to think I outplayed him, and LeBron has every reason to think I won the championship, then got hurt. How do I lose my throne? And Curry has every right to think, man, I've been out of it, but now I have my group back. So like there's sort of this feeling going into next year that like it's up for grabs. Like who's going to go, who's going to take it. Sagar, you will be back the next time we do Bucks talk. We are going to have a lot of episodes in the near future. Colin and I are doing a son's podcast tomorrow. And then I've got guests lined up for Monday and Tuesday. And I believe we'll probably do something draft related as well. So Plenty to come. Sagar, pleasure as always. We will be back tomorrow and many, many days after that.
Thanks for listening to me, Homer, out for an hour. Woo!